This podcast is produced by Unedited. Sort of say it's like have compassion for yourself. Like even if you're feeling silly for like feeling the way you do, you're not going to move past that energy if you're constantly thinking about it. And it's like, you know, do what you need to do. Sit with those feelings. Go and journal. Go and put music on. Go and like smash a pillow if you need to. But if you're angry, you're angry. There's no point like trying to tell yourself that you shouldn't be. Hello and welcome to episode 182 of In The Moment with me, Alex Manzi. I am a life coach who has previously battled with depression and anxiety and I use my learnings and my experiences to help you find more clarity and happiness in life. And each week on this podcast, we hear the story and tips from some of the most inspirational people in the world, learning how to take small steps every day to improve your mental, emotional, physical and spiritual health. But before we jump into this week's episode, I am really excited to announce that my book, The Search for Clarity, is out now. And this book shares my experiences and biggest learnings of going through living in a negative headspace to now living from a place of clarity and happiness and how you can do the same too. So to get hold of a copy or for more information on the book, simply head to thedreamersdisease.co.uk forward slash clarity. Or if you're a Kindle reader, you can head to the Amazon store and get a copy there. So on this week's episode, I am joined by Chanel Harris, who is a cycling blogger and content creator who just has the most amazing energy. And I came across Chanel when she joined my friend on an Instagram live recently. And instantly I knew that I had to connect with her for a chat because, you know, I just knew that her energy and her vibe would bring so much to this podcast and a lot of this episode we spoke about the definition of success and what that means because we often get caught up in this idea of success that kind of society places on us and having more and doing more and you know the way we should work and live our lives equal in success but that isn't always the case and I think Chanel's story is testament to that so it's really great to kind of hear from her on that in this episode and during this conversation we also spoke about body image feeling like a failure, lockdown, relationship learnings, and more. So the aim of this podcast is to inspire. So if you like what you hear in this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and spread the love. But right now, let's jump straight in and hear from Chanel. Welcome, Chanel. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I am very well, very well, very well. Do you want to just, to kick us off, introduce yourself in terms of like letting people know who are listening a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Who I am? I was sort of trying to think about this coming on. This is the first podcast I've ever been invited on, so thanks thanks for the honour of, um, of being here. So um, I'm Chanel. On social media, I'm more commonly known as Your Royal Thinus, um, which was an account that started as a, as a joke and then grew um, in the last two years. And... Where it came from is my partner is a professional cyclist. Um, and I guess I like to describe it as when one of the best peddlers in the land met uh, one of the worst. And <laughs> I am just really passionate about getting more people into cycling. Um, I'm passionate about my thighs. I'm passionate about everyone's thighs. I'm passionate about getting people accepting um, that beauty standards aren't just, isn't just one set that we're fed from the media. Um, but yeah, really, I just I started documenting little snippets of life and it's kind of grown in the last couple of years and um, I like sharing what it is that we're doing. Um, I just have little rambles about a cat or a relationship or getting into cycling, getting out of cycling, um, just anything really. I don't know where um, kind of like where I'm pinpointed in terms of what we're chatting about, but that's if I was loosely describing kind of who I am, that's what I present to the world at the moment yeah nice and i think it comes across i think like from when i've been following your account i find it quite warm like it's quite it's quite it feels like it's just you, you your mate do you know what i mean it's like you're you're kind of just following your mate and like they're posting up things and writing things that they're passionate about the old picture of the cat like you said stuff that goes on at home or whatever and it's just quite it's just like following someone's journey and lifestyle well i think i remember i, I I've worked in marketing for the last 10 years and um, social media is obviously changing hugely how we interact, how we communicate, how brands interact and communicate. And when I set up the account, I was like, I'm, I'm not someone who can be an authentic. Um, and I know that people will follow me if they, you know, if they resonate with the content, if they find it engaging, if they find it exactly like that, like chatting with a friend and, I know there's lots of accounts that are set up for aesthetic purposes or they've got a real particular reason why they're, um, you know, they've got a message that they're going out with. But 
was just I actually wanted to meet some people. It, was, it happened when I, I call it being exported out from London to Essex, which is where mm-hmm. my partner was based. And I didn't know anyone. There were people that were interested in our life, I guess, given what he does, um, who were sort of finding me on my personal channels. And I was like, look, I can control everything I put out. And I'll just start sharing little windows into into our life, literally thinking it would be my family and sort of friends back home in New Zealand that were that were watching it. And then um, here we are with 20-odd thousand followers on Instagram and 32,000 on YouTube. So... I don't know what we're, yeah, it's, maybe it's because our life's slightly unique. It's maybe a little bit different to like the sort of Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, but it's nice to hear you say that it's warm and it's, um, it's like a friend because that's always been how I've always wanted it to come across. So. Yeah, which I think is great. And I think you mentioned before, like the, the kind of honesty and authenticity side of it. And then like even earlier, you mentioned like beauty standards and you're, talk, you know, obviously it's called your royal finest and you're saying you love your fires and everyone's dies like, what is it about that, <laughs> what is it about that side of things that kind of is important to you to kind of share that and and have that that kind of openness and honesty so it was like so cycling obviously is powered by your legs and i've I've always cycled like throughout my whole entire life I've cycled um I was a gymnast for ten years I did trampolining I've always been a dancer like all of those things have required my legs to be strong and I'm not, um, I'm not a size six. I'm not tall. I'm sort of like, I don't know, like a little, say bowling ball, but that would be, that would be like, (laughs) and then when social media started becoming more prominent in our lives, I was like, I'm not seeing people that look like me. I'm constantly seeing people that look a particular way. And then I started documenting our life and like my journey into road cycling, which requires like a lot of lycra, so a lot of tight fitting Hmm. that, that maybe you wouldn't feel confident with. And I guess I just thought, I was like, I'm, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to show what I look like. I'm going to celebrate it and embrace it because otherwise I'm going to stand in the mirror each day hating the way I look. And that's purely because I'm not seeing what other people, seeing what other people are seeing. I'm not seeing um, this yeah, standard kind of ideal of beauty. And that's where I think particularly the women that followed me have always been so positive and saying like, it's so nice and so refreshing to see someone who's going, yeah, I've got slightly larger thighs and what like they're still mm. great they're so amazing look at what they can help me achieve look at what I can do on a bike or you know in the gym um and that is where the, the finest came from so I don't know if I'm going to eventually going to age out of your real finest I don't know if that's something I can I don't think there's any age you can sort of look and go I love I love that kind of that that accepting yourself that you were saying right because I feel like it's such a big part of today like there's so many of us who go through our lives not accepting ourselves or not being able to accept ourselves for the way we look for the way we feel for um you know many different reasons for the way that we live our lives for what we do you know outside of work inside of work and i feel like for me like a big part of my journey is i've never really had the 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 uh, like a body image problem with myself in terms of not being able to accept the way i look i've always been fairly happy and comfortable maybe that comes down to because i'm slightly slimmer or whatever i don't know but like I've always had the kind of struggle mentally and like accepting like my mind for what it is. And that's always been the kind of sticking point. But I feel like when you go on that journey of learning to accept and to like learn to love yourself for all your little quirks and all of your little, you know, things yeah. that aren't normal in inverted commas according to society, that's when you really unlock like this next experience to live in because you're like, well, I don't care what you think. I don't care what your opinions are. Like, as long as I like what I see or how I feel or how I think or, you know, whatever, then that's the most important thing, you know? And did you find that came, um, so for me that came sort of like my mid to late twenties. It took a lot of unpacking of what we perceive as and what we attach to what our definition of success is. And I felt like that really changed for me in the last couple of years. And that, you know, and the account was a big, huge part of that, but particularly so it's like body image was one thing and sort of disassociating well actually just because I'm seeing lots of the same type of women who are you know beautiful they don't have you know these these women are never tired they don't have eye bags they don't have pores they're they're just they're beautiful they never have bruises on their legs um and I'm like well that that's that's one standard of beauty but there are so many more and I think social media is opening up us to a lot of different body types and people becoming you know more receptive to celebrating that and then 
another side of it, just in the last that year, when I was talking to you earlier about um, having to leave London and a big part of who I felt I was, was attached to my career mm-hmm. and leaving my job as I knew it in the sort of the nine to five, like the career defining role, leaving that to support my partner's dreams was a massive thing because then I felt really invaluable because I had attached so much of my definition of success to my job. And it's like, so I think that's all things that I've had to really unpack and change as an adult to go, well, actually, what is my definition of success? Is it a job? Is it the way I look? Like, it's actually how I feel about myself, how I respect myself. I don't know if that came for you as well, but adulthood really does change a lot of that. You have to do a lot of thinking about what you've been taught and conditioned over the years yeah and i think it is i think it is amazing that how many people be it you know people on the podcast people i'm chatting to through instagram friends like people i coach it's like that window of like you know it's the quarter life crisis or whatever people call it that window of like sort of mid to late 20s as you said seems to be like a real window for people where it's like wow you take a look at yourself and you're like wow like i actually don't think that everything that i've learned about myself and about society and the way to live up until this point is true <laughs> and you sort of you freak out about it because you're like well what is the truth that I'm trying to live and I think a lot of that comes down to unpacking like you said right and it's about understanding yourself understanding the way that you want to show up what your interests are um, understanding you know the world around you you know to then be able to show up in that world so I don't know what what you did or what you had to kind of go through in order to unpack that stuff but maybe um yeah it'd be cool to hear a bit about how you did that well just i was going to ask as well whether you think this is something that our generation our experience like millennial generation are experiencing now and people like my parents sort of look at it as more of the self-entitlement or we want we want more out of life and or we're less accepting of the fact that you, you know, you go to school, you go to uni or you learn a trade and you save up and you buy your house and you get married and you have your children and that's kind of your life. And I don't know whether maybe we're the first, not the first generation, it's very millennial of me to phrase it like that, but whether we're actually questioning that and going, well, is that right? Is that how I want mm. to live my life? Is that my, is that my definition of success? Am I allowed to question that? Um, and just yeah, coming back to like my sort of journey, within it was in two part and one of them as we've touched upon was like was the body image and actually I can't change the way I look there's certain things I can change about about the way I look but my thighs is not one of them even if I've even if I've lost 10 20 kilos I still have large thighs it's the way my body's built I can't make myself taller I can't make myself shorter and isn't it easier to to actually just look and go well I actually really love myself I really love the way I look I really love the way I feel and that was like a breath of fresh air post the last decade throughout my teenage years and early 20s just forever being on a you know hamster wheel of trying different diets or creams to get rid of cellulite or and again it wasn't until it was about a year ago that I read 80% of women have cellulite Mm. why are we forever trying to change something that's inherently like genetically built into us and it's like we have to change the way we're looking at the information we're receiving at those images at those women and and going actually this isn't this isn't right for me so I want to change the content I'm seeing and that's there's lots of downsides to social media but man there's so many upsides to it I've discovered and connected with so many incredible people um you know like yourself who are changing the way they feel about them whether it's body or mind or and then coming into that I think that really helped on the the job front um I really worried about what people would think of me when I left my job to essentially like i say I'd become a wag. I left my job to support my partner, um, you know, chasing his dreams. And it was either I stayed in the UK um, and he was on the road for pretty much, you know, 75 to 80% of the year. We wouldn't see each other. We'd be living separate lives. Or I could go with him and craft something else, Um, you know, delve into remote working, actually try and build up the influencer side of it or make YouTube a supplementary income like all of these things but I was looking and going but I'm a qualified barrister like I have a law degree I'm a marketing consultant that's my definition of success so if I don't have that what am I and people are just going to look at me and think I'm this pitiful person who's following their their partner around and you know there was a lot of like unpacking and actually engaged with a life coach which was super 
like super incredible to unpack and go your again that's not your energy to take on what other people are thinking about you how much of me worrying about that is hurting me and it's like mm. it's only hurting me um so yeah that was uh, I've forgotten the tangent I was off on there. So <laughs> <I'm getting> <laughs> was there a point on that where you would, you know, you were coming to that point of making a decision, like you said, you've got your law degree, you, you know, you'd had so many years in marketing when you're making this decision to go and support Alex in terms of him chasing his dreams. Was there a part of you that I guess was feeling like a failure as well? Yeah, there was. And it was like, I was very mindful of, because I was, I was like, I was making this decision for us, but it was based largely on his interests. Mm -hmm. But it was also like we had the opportunity to go or to stay here where Alex kind of felt like he was stalling or jump at a new opportunity, like really kind of throw caution to the wind and, and just like really try something new. And I had to like have a bit of a talk with myself. And when I left New Zealand, I felt exactly the same. I was giving up the security of everything I'd ever known, leaving family, friends. I moved to London. I knew I knew one person who lived like an hour away and just completely that changed my life 360. And I was like, okay, well, we're just going to do that again. Um, and a big part of, yeah, I mean, making that decision was was that attachment to my career was who I felt like I was. I was like, no, I have a, I have a very well paid job. I'm in a industry that's like, you know, that's renowned. You're in advertising in London. That's really cool. That's, and to kind of give all of that up and people going, well, what's next for you? You know what, you must be moving on to a really amazing job or are you consulting or something? I'm like, no, I'm going to live in a mountaintop with my cat and my boyfriend who rides a bike. And you know, it's people are like, Oh, Oh, okay. Well, you know, good luck with that. Mm. <laughs> um, so yeah, it felt, it did feel like a, a bit of a failure. And again, it's just, it's been um, a lot of unpacking to change that. Like why, why is it a failure? Why? Yeah. And it's, 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 it's amazing, isn't it? Cause I feel like, like you mentioned earlier, right. We, we're, we're sort of, all of the kind of generations before us have kind of gone through that path of like the tick box of, you know, you said school, work, marriage, kids, house etc etc and we we are like this generation where it's like we're beginning to understand that they're, they're not necessarily the things that define a successful slash and or happy life mm. and i think we're kind of trying to express that in different ways and i faced very similar questions to what you asked yourself and what other people kind of projected onto me when i left my full-time job like i used to work doing social media for five years at the BBC and before that I worked in advertising so like, go, BBC wow that's like you know yeah. that, that's a career defining role yeah well it's like an establishment isn't it it's like it's a yeah. global institution in many ways right it's like it's pinnacle for for most people of a career like being at a company like that and I took the decision to to to, to start doing more freelance social media work in turn to then um, focus more on the podcast and sort of all my other interests outside of um social media work so like coaching and things like that and just focus on trying to learn more about those aspects trying to build them up and i face a lot of questions even still from like friends who still don't really understand what yeah. my working day is about they think that i just like slob around at home all day like because i'm <laughs> sat in in the kitchen on my laptop they think i'm like not actually doing work because i'm not at a desk in an office and i'm like no like i'm always like if i'm at my laptop 95% of the time I'm doing work unless it's past 9 p.m. in my room when I might be watching a film on my laptop or something. Yeah. And I think it's that, again, it's like my, my parents and grandparents in particular who get really worried. They're like, but you're not working. I was like, I, I am working. I'm just not going into an office to do so. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, it's a different form of working for yourself. And they were horrified, sort of in a similar, not horrified, but they found it really strange because I moved to the UK to work with the big name brands. I worked with Emirates, I worked with Dove and, you know, going back to New Zealand and, and people hearing about that, they're like, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. That's amazing. And, and it'd be the same for BBC and sort of when you leave that comfort and then it comes back to that, it's like, why are we attaching such success to some of these, like these roles and jobs where actually I was like, I was miserable. I was so tired all the time, particularly like I had to leave our house at quarter to five in the morning if I wanted to get to the gym, go to work, you know, a normal working 
day I'm sure as you can relate in London is not nine to six it's normally like eight to eight or nine at night and then catch the train back and I was like this isn't really living like I'm, mm. I'm in transit two and a half hours a day um I'm constantly exhausted and now it's like even though I, I was pushed into not pushed into giving my job up but it was like it came about through the opportunity to, to go away and support my partner the the income and the jobs I've generated are completely like working for myself and they come through a variety of ways they come through Instagram they come through YouTube partnerships they come through ad hoc consulting on projects and that isn't the same as saying like I am a marketing director at this company and I work with this brand. Um, and again, it's like, it's actually just talking to people and making them aware, particularly maybe older generations that a nine to five ago, my definition of success is being able to really have flexibility in life, being able to travel, being able to actually live between four different countries in a single year. Cause I'm not tied to annual leave anymore. Mm. So what is that educational um, handholding, exercise of going just because i'm not in an office doesn't mean i'm not working yeah that's it and i think i think for me it's like the the reason i wanted to 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 do what i'm doing is because of the freedom as well as the work like if you're super passionate about the work that serves you in one way right but if you feel like you have the freedom and you said before like when you're working nine to five or you know in a city it's never you you always feel tired and I feel like I, me personally, some people thrive under that. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with it if you thrive under it. But for me, I thrive being able to have the freedom. And it's like this week, you know, because I'm essentially working for myself I, on Sunday, I was so exhausted from just like being head down working pretty much six days a week since the beginning of lockdown. My last two weekends, I haven't enjoyed because I've been so exhausted. And I got to Sunday and I was like, I'm knackered. I, was like, I don't know if I can face doing anything tomorrow. So I woke up Monday, I was like, right, I'm going to give myself the day off and I'm going to recharge and replenish. And I felt great on Monday. I sat, I was started watching a new uh, program. Like I just potted about, like, you know, whatever. I wasn't reading. I wasn't really doing much, right, in terms of, like, being productive. But I was being productive for me. You're got, yeah, recharging, exactly. And I got halfway through the day and I was like, do you know what? I'm going to give myself the rest of the week off as much as I can. So I'm going to do minimal amount of work. If, I don't, if it doesn't need to be done, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to just park it until next week. And I'm going to try and use this week as a down week to try and recharge, try and replenish and bring my energy back up. And I think within a normal working career, like a nine to five, you don't have that flexibility, which I think is more of a reflection on the way that the job roles are set up rather than a reflection on the person. Cause I think you should be able to have that flexibility in terms of like, I don't just need to go on holiday to be able to recharge. Like I can still do that, but be productive. Like ultimately if, if I have a few days where I'm able to sit back, you know, do minimal work, maybe work from home, which, you know, hopefully through this whole situation that we're living through, like more people have that flexibility. It allows you to step back and slow down so that in the coming weeks, you can be more productive and more energetic towards your work and every areas of your life. And I think that that, that part of it is what I enjoy the most is the flexibility to be like, okay, you know what? This week I'm just going to do minimal and I'm going to recharge. And then next week I know I can be super productive already. Yeah. And I've found as well, like similar vein, the flexibility with timing and location and everything, but also there's a degree of when you're working for um, a big corporation that you feel like a, you know, small cog, big machine, you're always on someone else's time. And I always was that even from a financial aspect, you're always making money for someone above you. Mm. Whereas every single thing I do now is to serve a passion, it's to serve a, pro- a purpose, like for my own interests. It's not something I'm doing because I'm being told to. It's like I'm motivated and driven to do it because I'm really passionate about it. And it's like, uh, yeah, a big part of the social media is the cycling. And we, in December, we were like, we're going to make cycling kit and it sold out in eight minutes. And I was wow. like, this is something I would have never imagined doing if I um, was still sort of within the confinements of an office job. And I think when you're doing this, like, I don't know, like freelance work or you're working for yourself, you often, you're learning as you go, but you're often trying things and kind of throwing caution to the wind or taking risks that you just wouldn't have if you were in the security net of your own job. And I think that again has forced me to look at other aspects of my life and going, I would have never thought about starting a YouTube channel because I would have cared Mm. too much about what people thought. 
Whereas now I'm like, well, no, why? Like, what's there's no negative to this. There's just yeah. like, positive to be gained here. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a re it's a reframing of how you approach work, isn't it? Because I'm you know I'm fully aware that there might be people listening to this who are lawyers, who are doctors, who are teachers, who are you know they there are quite they have quite strict roles in in terms of like the the, the traditional way that they work, right? So yeah. I think what's really important for me is the kind of routine that I have around my lifestyle and around my work that facilitates the way that I'm able to work energetically and, and put my passions into things. So, you know, you mentioned before, like when you were working in the city, it was like you were getting up super early to go to the gym to, you know, get in that side of stuff so that you could go to work like on time. What What's the kind of routines that you've got in place now, particularly, I guess, during lockdown yeah. when everything was kind of up in the air, like what are the kind of things that you had in your routine day to day that are like your kind of non-negotiable things that you, you're like, I have to get these into my day because I know that they're going to serve me throughout the day. Yeah. And a big, big part for me is, is movement. Um, and that was why even as a non-negotiable, like commuting in from Essex to London, I was like, I still have to find time in my day to go to the gym or to, or to ride my bike or move because without it, I know I'm not going to be the best version of myself. And if that means getting up at silly o'clock in the morning, then so be it. Um, and I guess like looking back on those couple of years I was doing that commute, I think coming from New Zealand, it was such a strange, um, strange kind of acceptance that like 15 to 20 hours of my week was going to be spent on the train or on the tube in transit and I know it's so normal for like particularly Londoners to do but I was looking at it and I was like this isn't what I kind of wanted from life or this isn't what I thought I was going to get from life so yeah when again we changed and, and everything sort of changed with it but I was like my non-negotiable for my routine is always to still fit within the structure of like working hours because most of my clients and things that I deal with are, are during those times. But it's like you say, the freedom to go, actually sometimes I'm more productive in the evening and I can sit down without the distraction of calls or emails and smash out something I need to do from like six in the evening until midnight. And I'm like, great. That's like, that's how I prefer to work sometimes. And I've got that flexibility to do so. But yeah, in terms of a routine over, um, COVID that was we both tried to wasn't allowed out to do his training he wasn't allowed out to go to the gym or anything um, but we would both get up sit and have breakfast together we tried to really introduce um, like I call it checking in with our own agenda before checking in with everyone else's so no phones so it was just like get up have your cup of tea have your toast sit and have a chat before we would open so we found coronavirus I'm not sure probably the same like just an influx constantly of WhatsApp messages and Twitter links and we were trying to sort of manage both families in the UK my family in New Zealand and things were changing rapidly and it was just this recyclement of information and news um, and if you're sort of starting your day with that it, I found that quite overwhelming and quite stressful so yeah we, we'd start the day with her with no phones have a bit of a chat go and do exercise so I would do a home workout which was about 45 minutes Alex would jump on the bike for a couple of hours reconvene for lunch then have the afternoon doing um Alex Lester race cars he was getting in his like f1 sort of fix um on the playstation and I'd be doing I was trying to work throughout as well so actually it was quite a busy time for me um but yeah having that I think this the start of the day like when we were in Europe as well, we weren't allowed out of our apartment. They had slightly different lockdown rules. So for about six weeks, we were just in the apartment. We couldn't go out to exercise. You weren't allowed your one hour of exercise or anything unless you had a dog. Um, we did try and take the cat out, but <laughs> enough of a dog. So, um, but yeah, having that, starting the day with movement, just trying to really limit the consumption of um, how much information and news, because again, it was like, I guess in coronavirus, I tried to adopt the mentality that like all the big decisions are being made for us. There's really mm. so much is out of our hands that we've got to roll with it. And by rolling with it, like the more worked up and upset and kind of in a stressful frenzy with it, we were getting yeah overwhelmed and stressed because we had planned to move back to the UK, but obviously that was scuppered because of kind of coming and going. And I'm sitting wondering if, you know, I don't actually know even to this day, like when I'll see my family again next because uh, the borders in New Zealand have closed. Um, 
And if I were to go back, it would be, yeah, quarantine for two weeks in a government-issued hotel. But, yeah, that routine of just starting it with a bit of normality, having breakfast and not missing out on that movement really set me up for the day. So. Um, yeah, and I think I think the movement's really key, isn't it? Because I think especially uh, it's one thing when you're, you know, in an office or you're working from home and you're sat at a desk or on your laptop. But within that, you've got to get somewhere. You've got to walk to the station. You've got, to, yeah. you know, there's movement involved. But when you're inside the same, <laughs> yeah, when you're in the same four walls, like like you might just be walking from one room to another or like up and down <laughs> the stairs. Like there's not there's not much you're doing when it's you know talk you know when it comes to quarantines. I think the the movement element element's really key because we forget. It's like there's the you know there's the saying of. Um, if you don't if you don't use it lose you lose it or whatever it's like you know if you're the whole thing with like sitting down all days you're not activating your glutes for example so you they're just becoming oh, using those beautiful thighs yeah exactly you're not getting used out of those thighs so it's like the whole point of the movement is to, to generate the movement to keep your body active but also to keep the energy flowing as well like, and that's so important we forget that just taking a five minute break every 45 minutes to get up and just walk around stand you know, just be in a different position, you know, do some stretching or whatever. It has massive benefits for us. And I was even th- like today, I was like sat um, in, in the kitchen doing some stuff on my laptop. And I realized, oh, like it's been like an hour. I haven't got up. So I just quickly got up, like started like walking around, just literally walked upstairs for no reason, came back down, potted around, just hovering, like went, <laughs> had a little like stretch, like touched my toes, whatever. And then five minutes gone, okay, sit back down. And I, I already felt more focused because I'd given myself not just the time away, but I'd allowed myself to get into a space where like my body's like, you know, flowing with energy again, which I think is so important. Did that, do you find as well movement equates to a bit more creativity as well? You touched on focus, but that movement just helps. It's like, it's like a bit of a reset for your brain. Even if you're changing your environment from the bottom of the stairs to the top, it's like, it's something different. It's, it's getting the energy flowing. Yeah, because I'm and I'm sure there's some real big scientific explanation to it. But it's like I find like if you're sat somewhere for like half an hour, forty five minutes, and you're just doing the same thing, and you feel like you're not getting that, you're not there's something that's not quite coming. If you just yeah. get up and go for a walk for five minutes, even if you just go outside, change your environment, change the kind of sensory experience you're having. Yeah. When you come back to that desk you find that you flow better into it, like creatively or focus or whatever. Like it all just sort of comes a bit quicker. And then again, I'm not sure there probably is a scientific explanation for it, but just that based on my experience, that's what I feel. And I feel like that helps massively. And I used yeah. to try and do it in an office as well. Like I used to have a timer on my phone that went off literally every 45 minutes. And it reminded me to just go for a walk for five minutes or stand up for five minutes. And people would be looking at me in the office like, you're up again. Like you're going for another walk. I'd literally just walk and do a lap of the office or go to the kitchen and just there'd always be someone to have a chat with and just gonna have a quick chat and then walk back to my desk and sit back down and carry on again. It makes yeah, it I was going to say, there's some, some environments you've just like sparked a, a memory. Some work environments though are so adverse to that kind of like, you know, movement for creativity or standing, having a chat. And it's almost like the, the busyness is the badge of honor. And if you're not like, you know, frantically tapping away on your keyboard or sort of looking really stressed, it's like, you don't have that same badge of honor. If you, if you rolled, rolled in at nine in the morning and you sort of did your work, but you stopped a couple of times in the day to chat or move around or, you know, talk to Bob by the photocopying machine. And then you left bang on time. People almost look at you and go, well, you know, you're obviously not like you're not slammed. So you're not really doing like a really good job. Yeah. And I found that was a, quite a um I really bought into that sort of in London that that busyness like that stressfulness as a real badge of honor like you really wear it with pride because Mm. you're working for a big corporation and and times are tough but you know you're tough too and the busier you are the more successful you are I guess that was a um kind of thing I don't know if you've ever like experienced yeah yeah for sure for sure and I think that's in most careers though isn't it there's like I was having this conversation yesterday with a friend about it, we, were talking about, we were talking about football as the kind of analogy, right? And we're saying it's such a British, because basically I've got another podcast, which is about football. So me and my friend were interviewing a former football player. And he was saying that there was a specific period in his career where he worked with a certain manager where he felt like it was the best he, he had played as a footballer. And it was towards the end of his career because the manager was encouraging him to do less running around, less movement, and just focus on being in the area of the pitch where he could do his job, which was, you know, strike or be in and around the goal, 
stay in the middle of the pitch and you're going to do your job instead of like running wide or dropping deep or whatever. And I was saying it's what it's such a British like mindset of like, or maybe not even British, maybe a Western mindset of like, the harder you work, you know, the more, the more productive you're being or whatever. And it's like with him, the example was like, he used to run around all over the pitch as a player when he wasn't playing well and felt like he was being told by his manager, that was a good thing because it would help him, you know, do what he's supposed to be doing. But it's like, ultimately, if you're, you're on the pitch to score a goal, you're not going to score a goal in any other area of the pitch apart from right in front of the goal. So like, yeah, stay in that area. Of, <laughs> yeah, you're tiring yourself out. Yeah. So when you do get the chances in that position, you're going to be more tired. So, and I just thought it was really a really great example in terms of like the mindset we have of like, work, 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 rush, 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 rush. And I've actually, funny enough, got a quote next to me on the wall which I keep as a reminder and that my, my coach always says to me and I always say to people that I coach is yeah. slow down to speed up because sometimes we just need to stop slow down yeah stop trying to rush as far ahead as possible slow down what you're doing so you can see the picture clearer you can understand more you can be more here and now so that you can move forward more confidently more you know what I mean and it helps you speed up what you're doing because you've taken that step back and we forget to do it, you know? Yeah, no, and it was something, um, I, yeah, it's the same, like try and be really mindful of in my own work, like work-life balance. But when um, in an agency I was working in when I was in a manager role and one of my employees, I remember sitting with her and just saying, like, if you can't complete the work that I'm giving you within the eight hours that you're contracted to be here for, like, let me know because that's something on me. Like, I'm obviously giving you too much work but there is no reason why you shouldn't like you're very capable you're very diligent you, you know exactly what you're doing and if if you can't do it within those eight hours of, of each single day you're coming in then there's something wrong with the amount of work or perhaps you're not understanding it or something else like that's on that's on the team or that's on me like that's not something that an employee should sort of it's like if you can't do that work within the time that you're allocated to do it and then there's something wrong with the work that you've been given but yeah it's a it is it's a it's a real um it was a real huge adjustment going from a very sort of fast-paced environment where the more stressed you are the more successful you are to actually yeah stepping back and going you know I'm good I feel really good I might like after this go for a swim and I can do that because yeah at five o'clock I don't need to be online for an hour and having that flexibility of time so yeah. yeah and I think that's another thing that a lot of people who have been working from home during lockdown have experienced is or even those who haven't even those who have just been at home right it's this slowing this slower pace of living yeah. Yeah. has served a lot of people in many good ways obviously there's been a lot of negative stuff that's come with that and people have been faced with a lot of emotions and stuff they haven't had to be faced with before and feelings because they're busy distracting themselves from those feelings but a lot of people have recognized actually if i'm working from home it might mean that i'm doing less work in inverted commas but i'm being as productive with my time from a work perspective or from a parent perspective or from you know whatever perspective it is because there isn't a rush to go for a drink after work to get home by this time to get to the gym by this time to, you know, there isn't all of these other, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like cogs in the machine <laughs> that we have to kind of keep balanced and keep spinning and all of this. And it's just like, people you, are being so much more present. Like that's the, they're yeah. showing up in so many different ways because they have the ability to be present, whether it's in a parenting role or in a work capacity or they're just, and I think it'll be so interesting to see how the next couple of years roll out I know we're being like you know really scared at the moment of like the big recession impending and job losses and there's lots of really horrible things that are happening and that we're you know being sort of told but it's also it has been a huge chance for people to slow down take stock maybe reaccount. I've got a lot of friends who are looking at going back to studying because they've actually realized that maybe the career choice they're in, they're going, actually, I want to go back and do my master's in, in climate change because that's what I'm passionate about. And a few people similar to us are going, well, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna jump into the freelance world. I'm going to actually pursue something that I considered a passion project to try and make it my job. And um, I think, yeah, there's a lot of people who are actually looking at changing the way they live their life because they've had a chance to really stop and, and, um, and take stock of it and go, mm. actually, is this... This is how I want to do this for the next 40 years. 
Um, yeah, but yeah, exactly. the, whole, the slowing down has been a huge, um, a huge one for well for the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I'm interested as well in terms of like um, your relationship because you were sort of joking before we we hit record about. Um, Alex is obviously in Europe now for a few months doing his work and you were joking about like wanting to like you're desperate not desperate but like you're pushing him out the door anyway because you spent so long together but like what what's because I'm, I'm assuming and obviously correct me if I'm wrong assuming that for you guys the relationship has always been quite time together time not together time together time not together in terms of like Alex obviously doing his training and things and you know moving about whatever so what what have you learned about your relationship with each other during lockdown and during spending so much time, you know, months together in the same space, 24 seven almost? Yeah, no, well, it was, it was 24 seven and we live in a um, 55 square meter apartment. So it's, yeah. it's small, you know, there's not, there's not a lot of places to escape to, but we, uh, our relationship since the beginning has been an unconventional one in the sense that yeah Alex is away a lot of the time um and if he goes away it's not for a night or two it's for you know seven ten days sometimes 30 days um so this actually coronavirus I think we worked out was the longest stint we've had that hasn't been you know hasn't been peppered with him going away or like I previously went away quite a lot with work as well so it's always been a juggling act but I think like for us like over coronavirus to actually like we really i hope this doesn't come off as smart either like well obviously wasn't without its difficulties but we really enjoyed spending time with each other we mm. actually just and surprisingly a lot of couples that i've spoken to found the same like thought it would you'd really get on each other's nerves or thought there'd be a lot of scraps and i think i remember reading after the after China came out of lockdown, their divorce rates like skyrocketed by something like thirty percent because people would come out of lockdown and they're like, "Christ, never doing that again." <laughs> um, but for us, I was like actually really sad to not come out of lockdown, but sad to sort of know that normality was coming back and that it was going to you know be returning to the sort of on and off. But for us, I I just it's like it improves our communication as well because you can't um, if there's something I'm sitting on or if something's bothered me it's like I've got to communicate that because I know as well we've got a limited time together when we're home that I don't you know I don't want to spend that bickering or like really stewing on something that happened three days ago so it's I found it's made me a better communicator um definitely and it's like your time becomes more valuable together mm. so it's like because it's not a given so yeah so it does we've also tried to say we don't want to put pressure on that time it's not like of you know we're together for three days. It needs to be amazing. And we need to be like deliriously happy and in love. It's just like, we're just going to make sure we really value that time. And if something is bothering him or I, or we need to discuss something, it's like, well, let's, you know, let's keep those lines of communication open, get it sorted and, and move on. Mm. And have you had to work on the communication element through the time, like in terms of maybe over communicating or communicating more or communicating some things less as well? Um, yeah, so, well, even just in the course of the relationship, I would say I'm not, uh, it's amazing because I freaking love to talk, as you can as you can tell, but um, talking about your feelings and emotions is something I've really had to learn. Um, I don't know if it's like a part of your upbringing or sort of like the stoic sort of Kiwi is, doesn't really talk about their feelings too much, and that was something I really had to learn in this relationship to to be more open, to be more accepting of the vulnerability when it, you know, when you do have a partner that's away a lot. Um, and actually just really being open and honest and sometimes saying like, I'm really struggling with this. I really miss you. Or, you know, you did this thing yesterday that's really bothered me, even though it's a really stupid thing. I'm just going to talk about it. So we're going to, you know, we're going to unpack it and then move on. Um, so yeah, it has, it's just definitely made, um, it's improved my communication skills like in a relationship sense, which in turn I think has helped me in a professional sense as well. So mm. I don't know about yourself, have you found some big movements and friendships and relationships and things from coronavirus? Yeah, for sure. I think, I think, I mean, I'm, I, I try now anyway, try to be as open as possible as I can be. I think, you know, I spend a lot of time sharing a lot <laughs> anyway, you know, on here, like, you know, on my stuff about on Instagram with, with coaching clients or whatever. So it's almost, it's not easy. Like it's almost easier to do it with people who aren't, who aren't close to me, if that makes sense. Yeah. It does become a lot harder when 
it's someone close, like a friend or family member or partner or whatever, that's when I find there's, there's more of a block. And I, and I, I don't know whether we have that block in place because we feel like they're the people who know us the best and we don't want them to, you know, judge us or, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. There's, there's obviously something, right? Um, but I think, like, it, it's definitely... Well, we, we're never comfortable conversation, sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. And I think, you know, we're yeah. having... I think learning to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations with people who you're close to is a really big learning. And I think that's not just been throughout coronavirus. I think that's been just in general over, for me over the last couple of years is like being like, you, you get that feeling where like, Oh, I don't really want to talk yeah. about this, but like you have to almost just ignore that feeling and just get through it and talk about it. And I think I've, I've, I've not just experienced that from a personal point of view. I think I've experienced it with friends as well. And, and people who I'm close with in, in terms of trying to, create the space in order to have those conversations because there is there has been a lot of stuff that's come up during this period you know since the beginning of april or whatever so it's a long it's a long time and i think that we the more that you can communicate those things the better you feel because it's 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 like a weight coming off your off your back and it's like you know i always describe it it's like the difference between well we use a bike and say i normally use a swimming example we use a bike it's the difference between like cycling with a 20 kilo bag on your back to then taking off the, the bag and cycle, being able to cycle a bit more freely. Like, yes, you can still move forward in your life. If you're carrying that baggage, you can yeah. still move forward on the bike, but it's ultimately more comfortable and more freeing if you can take that off and put it aside and just, oh, get, you know? Yeah. You've got to be exactly what you said. You've got to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. And that is a, that for me, and it sounds like it's become as a more, as a learned skill. That wasn't something I, naturally have and that again throughout my professional career throughout even things like house sharing um you know if your flatmate does something that really annoys you I'd be the type of person to sit there three or four days like really really angry about it but I wouldn't say anything because I want to avoid the conflict and actually it's like in a relationship that doesn't work because your partner knows if something's up and they're going what's wrong what's wrong you're like oh nothing or and I would say sometimes to Alex like I need to like I just need to sit with this. I need to sit with these feelings to work out how I'm feeling and why. And then we'll have a conversation about it. And like over time, that's gotten easier and quicker. And even if it's something like I said that, you know, I might think is so silly and I'm getting angry at myself. For like, why, you know, why are you getting upset about this? This is so minute and in the scale of life, but it's like, you can't, you can't stop a feeling and you're just going to recycle that energy. Like, so if you're mm. sitting there feeling sad or angry or frustrated about something, there's no point you going like, okay, well you need to stop that now. Cause you know, it's illogical and irrational. You got to sit with those feelings, acknowledge them um, before you can move on from them. Mm. So yeah, I think in coronavirus, again, just from talking to other people has being a lot of people being in close proximity to each other and, have actually had to have some quite confronting conversations or honest conversations and in in turn it's actually you know made them stronger stronger friendships stronger relationships um even in family settings like having some Mm. conversations that maybe were a couple of years overdue so yeah there's a lot of obviously negatives but some some positives to be found yeah but you know do you know what i find fascinating as well is, is you were talking about the the just sitting with the feelings and emotions when they come up and i found this out the other day like the the actual um physiological thing that happens inside of you is when you when you have a feeling and an emotion comes up that emotion generally only lasts for 90 seconds the feeling of that emotion only lasts for 90 seconds and then it passes but when you think about it more and you bring more of the emotion up that's why it lasts for longer so I think it's nice sometimes to realize that yes it's you might feel something and that's totally fine but that is generally that feeling that emotion is only going to last 90 seconds or so, and then it will pass unless you ruminate on it more Then obviously it's going to stick around for 90 minutes or 90 days or whatever, you know? Yeah. The more you think about it, the more perpetuating it is. And that's like, I tried to sort of say, it's like have compassion for yourself. Like even if you're feeling silly for like feeling the way you do, you're not going to move past the energy if you're constantly thinking about it and, it's like, you know, do what you need to do. Sit with those feelings. Go and journal. Go and put music on. Go and, like, smash a pillow if you need to. But if you're angry, you're angry. There's no point, like, trying to tell yourself that you shouldn't be. You can, I can sit there and go, there's a 100 reasons why you shouldn't be angry right now. And I think in coronavirus as well, people were talking about, like, the guilt they felt that 
you know, um, I had a friend who was like, you know, I'm so I'm so stressed with work and getting really frustrated. But she's like, I shouldn't be feeling like this because I should be so grateful that I've got a job and like I don't, you know, my health is really good. And it's like, again, you can. There's always going to be someone that has it worse off than you, and you can't be mad at yourself for feeling that particular way. Like you need to just sit with that feeling, release it, and move on from it. And yeah, yeah there's not like a competitive guilt with everyone's finding it hard at the moment. And the yeah. fact that you've got a job is great, but yeah, it's cool. I think it's, it comes down to you know, like you're saying about feeling anger. It's like it's fine to feel anger, but the more that you don't want to feel the anger, the more angry you're getting at yourself for feeling it. Yeah, the more angry. It's like you just. <laughs> You know, we, we, it's, it's that 90 second thing. You just, you're elongating that 90 seconds and it's crazy. And I think, yeah, like learning that and being with that has been, yeah, big, a big learning really in terms of like just understanding that. And I think when you do get it and you start to recognize when it's happening, you can see it almost playing out. It's easier to then go like, ah, okay, I know what's doing here. I can stop for a second. I can slow down, take a moment to breathe and we can, we can go again, you know? Yeah. Actually, and I just think yeah, with coronavirus, a lot of people being at home have had the time and space to confront like maybe hurts that haven't been addressed yet, or it was like that's slowing down is when healing can really happen. And I think yeah, there's been a lot of um, situations that people have had to have confronting conversations, but have become better for it. Um, or, yeah, move past something that hasn't been addressed in 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 the past and. Have come out the other side so mm, exactly and i think another another thing to you know circle back around to cycling that's come out of coronavirus is the kind of you know that there was a um i can't remember how long it was but i saw something where there's been like a percentage of sales of bikes that have gone up oh, uh, since lockdown because people you know they're getting out more on their bikes be it to yeah. either just do some exercise or just to begin commuting again or whatever it is so that's that's like really positive news as well because it brings that movement oh, element back into it yeah to be in cycling at the moment is actually such an exciting um industry or sport hobby to be to be part of so i think it was at 1.1 million bikes were sold during the lockdown period which i just think is so incredible for how many people are looking at getting out onto two wheels now and how much we're trying to change that narrative that like you know, cycling, road cycling isn't just for men. Um, I know men outstrip women in cycling. I think it's three to one at the moment, but women is the fastest growing um, audience in cycling. So more and more women are taking it up. And that's sort of where I can't believe we haven't even talked about cycling yet. What have we been talking about for the last hour? Um, but that, um, and then it's also like the, the flow on from that is that the government sort of recognizing the importance of creating the infrastructure around cycling to make it safer, to make it more attractable and a viable option for people. So the more people that cycle, it's like the more money the government gives to actually create cycle lanes to help people feel safe and to do things like the 50 pound scheme where people can get bikes repaired. And I just say all of those are such positive changes that are coming out of something that, you know, has been so horrific for people. But, and yeah, the cycling sense, it's been awesome to see how many people like have messages sort of saying like I'm, I'm new to this I don't really know what I'm doing and that's where I, I try and tell my story as much as I can in the sense like I when I started commuting in London I wore a ski helmet because I was like I'm not buying a normal helmet like I'm not wasting money on that and just really went into it with kind of an amateur attitude but have kept that because I think it's like you overcomplicate something you'll scare, scare people off and mm. Like for, for Alex and I he is on one end of the spectrum and I'm on the complete opposite end and I was like, I think we, you know, can chat to a broad range of people because like I really try and say you really don't need all the gear, you don't need all the idea, you just need a bike and yourself and like the willingness to get on it. Yeah, and I think I think one of the things that I've really noticed as well is not just, you know, obviously people being out there more on bikes, but I think there's this whole movement around like community cycling and like groups of people, more so now that obviously lockdown's eased, but it was sort of happening pre pre-lockdown as well as like community cycling has been more of a thing you know people meeting yeah. up and going for cycles around regent's park or around like victoria park or you know just around an area which yeah. i think is really fascinating as well because it brings you know you see you do see cycling as quite like a a solo thing it's like you get on your bike and you're by yourself and you're in your your own little world but i think when you incorporate that community element into it, it makes oh, it a whole different ball game yeah and it was like again the um 
getting, I hadn't picked up a bike as an adult for a couple of years, but it was actually a, a friend I worked with in London who was commuting from South, I used to live in South London into the inner city. And she was like, you should, you know, there's a group of us that sort of all work in a similar area and we ride in together. And that was how I got into the commuting scene and met people through that. And then once I'd moved out to Essex and kind of said, like, I'm, I'm going to learn to road, like properly road cycles and like, you know, wear the Lycra and have the, have the clip and pedals and things. And met a, a huge group of women who cycle out here and it, yeah it's like it's a very I've found in my experience a very inclusive sport and um doesn't matter sort of what level you're at or where you are in the country there'll be a group ride for sure within like a 10 mile radius of you yeah. um if that's you know if that's what you want to do but it's it's just yes yeah, it's, it's that message that you really don't need um a lot you need your bike and you need your beautiful glorious thighs and that's yeah <laughs> well not even that i think you can cite there are bikes that you can um use your hands to cycle yeah yeah there are, there are. That, or the like the lay down bikes they look so yeah, chill yeah. that's what i want to get like a lay down bike <laughs> <laughs> i always thought it'd be so strange being that close to the road like sort of that you know that low level but yeah, yeah i just it's it's awesome to see and it's such a um such an epic movement to have kind of been part of the last couple of years and really see it really on the up now um yeah it makes it makes it very very exciting for things to come yeah and i think it's only going to happen more and more the more people return back to work the more people you know don't really want to get on public transport and i'm kind of fully aware that there's probably people listening who uh have either just started who may be thinking about getting a bike you know be that investing 500 pounds in a bike or using 50 pounds to brush up your your bike that you've had for 15 years like what I'm doing um what what tips would you have for for people who are listening in terms of like road safety because obviously people who are going to be cycling to work we we don't have many cycle lanes outside of central London so what are the kind of tips you would give people who are interested in beginning to maybe commute to work via a bike and what are the things they should be aware of um I definitely think so visibility is the is the biggest thing I would say um we're still, I find the mentality here is very much like I'm a motorist, you're a cyclist. And it's kind of like sharing the road can become um, quite difficult. I think there's a lot of uh, miseducation around what to actually do when you're coming up to a cyclist, like how much space you're supposed to leave them. Um, so I sort of say to anyone starting out, like visibility is the biggest thing. The brighter you can be on your bike, the safer it is. Um, and again, like this was something I learned through experience. I was, so I started commuting um, in December. So it was like, you know, middle of winter, dark. I wore all black because I wore black leggings, a black jacket. I had a black rucksack. And I thought that my one light attached to my ski helmet was suffice. And it really was, it was dangerous. Um, and again, it's like having a flatmate that was actually like, hey, you need to probably put a reflector on your backpack. We need to get you some more lights. And just kind of having someone to say, sort of talk you through a little bit and actually explain why. Because I was like, well, you know, a car's got headlights, they can see me. It's like, no, you blend into the sort of the landscape. But visibility, um, is one and I also recommend like if you if you do have a partner or a flatmate or someone like just so, so someone knows that you're always that you're out on your bike or that you are commuting like one if you don't show up at work do your workmates know that you've come in on bike like just that sort of added element of safety but um it's something that it just your confidence grows the more you do it um first couple of times it is terrifying in traffic um particularly like you say like London I was blessed with because there were in a you know there was like inner city has so many cycle lanes it actually felt safer being in a cycle lane than if I was driving um but I know it's not the same for everywhere else so just yeah confidence building like the more confident you are bike handling the the better each commute's going to feel what about a message to anyone who's maybe slightly nervous getting on a bike and they you know for me like I find that because I've driven for so long, I feel like I know, I know the roads. I know how to navigate a road. I know when I'm on a bike, even if it's been just like when I used to live in Bethnal Green, I used to cycle into Shoreditch quite a lot. And, you know, it's quite a busy road that you have to cross and get past some roundabouts and stuff. And I kind of got a sense of knowing, you know, when was a good time to go, when you could actually like go between cars, if you needed to get around the bus or, you know, whatever. Yeah what what message would you have to someone who's maybe a little bit nervous in terms of getting on a bike and being out on the road 
road. I just say everything is a risk assessment and it's like anything else you do in life as well. When you drive a car, like you know you know the brakes in the traffic where you're pulling out and you go, oh, a bit close to that, I really had to speed up. It's like just don't take those unnecessary risks on a bike either and be it's like be really compassionate with yourself. If it's going to take you 40 minutes to do the first commute run, like allow yourself 60 minutes just in case, you you know, you might need to pull over, like recoup if you're, you know, feeling a bit unconfident, you might need to pull out the map again to check where you're going or just that kindness, but be like, take it slow. Don't take, I know a lot of people who um, like started commuting and thought that they kind of needed to keep up with, there's always going to be commuters that are faster than you and slower than you with you. It's not a race, like as long as you kind of get there, um, get there in one piece and in the safest possible way. But I'd say I really found um, a couple of times I just, I did the work run on a weekend just to familiarize myself with the route. And obviously it changes when you sort of throw traffic into it, but the more confident you feel and where you're going and just the more, the more you do it, the safer you're going to feel. Um, but it is a, it's, it's hard because, you can't control what motorists are going to do. All you can do is be as safe as you can. So making sure you know, like you're confident enough to take one hand off to signal. So if you are turning on a bike, someone knows where you're going. You've got that high visibility. You've got as many lights and reflectors as you can. Um, and just awareness. Yeah, just definitely like just awareness and um, making sure, yeah, you've got enough confidence to be out on the road in the first place. So mm. start, start small if you have to. I, started in a grass park when I was learning to clip in, clip out, because I didn't feel safe falling off on the road at that point. And that was a good couple of weeks doing that. Yeah. And I think, I think with anything as well, it, it, it's enjoying it as well. Even if it, if you might be scared or nervous, it's still enjoy that process of like becoming oh. comfortable doing it, isn't it? Yeah. Enjoy the freedom of movement. I, I just used to love like, instead of sitting on the tube and knowing I was completely bound to the tube time. So you know, stopping each way. It's like I had complete freedom of where I was going and really, yeah, helped me fall in love with the city again. And But just it's a big part, again, of how we touched upon, like the routine and getting enough exercise and movement into your day. But, you know, if you're if you're using it as a mode of transport, that's like, you know, it's ticking two boxes in one. Mm. And, yeah, just enjoy it. Enjoy it and be aware. Yeah, and I think it, does, it feels great, especially like now the weather's, you know, pretty good. It feels great when you're out on a bike. Even, you know, to be honest, even I used to cycle sometimes during the winter, like to 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 go when I was playing football on a Saturday. I used to cycle down there. And it, some days yeah. it might be like light snow or freezing cold, but it's just it's so oh, nice to be out in the fresh air. <laughs> yeah, you just like when you're in when you're in really like very you know really cold temperatures or like you're saying a light snow or rain. I just remember thinking, I'm like, sometimes, you know, this is miserable. Sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, I'm alive. This is <laughs> this is really touching all the senses. So, but yeah, I think it's just it's such an incredible opportunity we get every day to, you know, to be alive, to be healthy. So um, cycling for me definitely is a, is a celebration of that. I don't know if that comes across as saying as wanky or something, but I find like the ability to move your body is such a gift. Um and cycling's really helped me rediscover that, like not being sort of in a gym or not being in the four walls of a class or but just really being out on the open road and moving. Exactly. And I think as well, like there's so many, like my sister's just started, so she just started going back into the office where she works, which is maybe a 20 minute, the 25 minute cycle from where she lives. And yeah. she's been getting a, you know, like a Santander bike because she's waiting for the her work to um advisor on the cycle to work scheme and i think if you are working somewhere it's really important to look into that as well and and there's schemes there's work schemes there's all sorts of schemes and there's the 50 pound voucher you can get from the government which i'm not sure is active yet or not i'm not i'm not 100 sure the site crashed it was like the site crashed within three minutes or something because so many people were accessing it oh wow (laughs) yeah but i think it's like it's like exactly like you're saying is that there's so many reasons to get into cycling but there are also there is a lot of support to get into cycling as well um there are through british cycling i know they have what's called breeze rides which are introductory rides out on the road that you go with ambassadors so there are you know if if you don't have someone in your life that can kind of you know handhold you through those steps there are organization and you know charities and supports that that do that so um or you know just just get in touch with me i'm more than happy to, to help you out if i can um, but yeah, there's different. There's so many reasons to cycle, and there's so many support mechanisms to cycle at the moment. 
and hopefully more in the future. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, well, look, Chanel, I'll let you crack on with the rest of your day. So thank you for joining me today. It's been really great pleasure. Oh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so sorry. I've just realised what the time is. I uh, know, no, it's fine. What have we covered? Jesus. Yeah. Conversation always flows. It's good. It's good. Um, but uh, yeah, I fully appreciate it. And I, I think, you know, I just want to appreciate you for doing what you do. And, and, you know, you bring such a good energy to A, this conversation, but B, to what you do. And like I said at the beginning, you know, there's a lot of kind of honesty and warmthness about your kind of Instagram and, and YouTube channel. So, I'm sure a lot of people can can be inspired by that, which is I think is amazing, especially now with where we're at with cycling becoming more popular. And I think, you know, it's it's really great to have people like yourself who aren't professionals who are just like in it for the fun of it and just the, you know, idea. <laughs> Yeah, just showcasing the journey. Like I think it's really it's really great. Oh thanks, man. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Do you want to um shout out where people can catch you online and keep up to date with everything you're doing before we sign out? just like the plug um yeah just you know if you just search your royal finest on instagram that's me um we have a we have a website called fiesclub.com um but yeah i'm more than happy to just if you want to say hi dms are always open if i can help you out in any way just let me know um but yeah that's your royal finest just love your thighs your big glorious thighs <laughs> awesome thank you <laughs> thanks man i'll check you soon So I hope you enjoyed this episode and as I said at the beginning I really really love Chanel's energy and I really hope that you could take a lot from this episode particularly around you know defining success around taking a risk in life sometimes you know it might might seem like a huge risk at a time but you know when you take that leap of faith that's what it turns out to be it turns out to be something you can put your faith in and I think her story is is very much testament to that which I love. So if you did like this episode and you like what you heard, then please leave a review and even better still, be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you get the latest episode straight to your phone. And if you know someone who you think would really benefit from hearing this episode, then be sure to send the link to them. Send them a screenshot, share the love with them because it's important that we continue to spread the positive vibes and messages of episodes like this one. I started this podcast to inspire a positive change and you can also be a part of that by sharing the love. As ever, you can connect with me on Instagram at I am Alex Manzi. Come and say hello. Come and let me know what you learned from this episode. But until then, I thank you for listening and I will see you for the next episode. This podcast is produced by Unedited.